excited to finish changing the world. And so when I say that, meaning I finally feel like the technology has caught up with me and with my vision of how a future firm can look. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this podcast. As you can tell, we're making a few tweaks to the recordings. We're dropping part of the intro and maybe making a few other changes in the next few weeks as well. As we make these changes, though, I would love to hear your feedback on the show, whether you feel we're moving in the right direction or maybe you think something a little different would be appropriate. Any and all feedback is always welcome. I love hearing from our listeners. You can reach me through the contact form on the website, of course. That's at whereaccountantsgo.com. Or you can just email me directly at markg at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, for this week's episode, we have a very special guest. That clip was from Jody Paydar of the New Vision CPA Group, among actually a few other companies as well. If you've heard or seen Jody's name before, that wouldn't surprise me. She is all over social media in the accounting world. She's published a book. She has a podcast. She's an advisor or board member for a few companies. Plus, she's the owner of New Vision CPA Group, like I mentioned. Jody is a great example of being able to shape your own career exactly the way you want it. I really enjoyed recording this. Jody is yet another happy, joyful, and frankly successful guest. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to speak with her, and I always enjoy having the opportunity to speak with leaders in our profession. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We cover a lot of ground. If you do find this episode has been valuable to you, please check us out online as well. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials. If you happen to be an employer, we have some stuff there for you as well. One of the publications you may be interested in is Hiring for Accounting. It's a 45-page comprehensive ebook on everything you need to know to make the results more productive in your hiring efforts for accounting positions. Once again, that publication is Hiring for Accounting, and you can find it on our website at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with our special guest. Here's Jody Paydar. Well, hello, Jody. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, I am really excited about the show today because we have Jody Paydar joining us as a guest. And, and many of you may recognize Jody's name because she's definitely a very prominent voice, you know, so to speak, in accounting these days. I know from the few things I, I've read and heard that she definitely has a proactive and, and unique perspective on the profession. And I really do feel like this interview is going to benefit all of us, whether you're just starting out in your career or maybe you've been you know, in the profession for a few years. So, Jody, I know we've got a lot to cover, your early jobs, of course, but your firm, the radio show, all the businesses you're involved in, a book, there's a lot of fun stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) I need to start at the beginning, like we do with all our guests, though, so everyone understands how all this has developed. What initially led you to think about pursuing accounting as a possible career in the first place? So I grew up in a tax firm. So my dad actually had a home office before home offices were trendy. So he was director of taxes and insurance for Midas International for 35 years. And he had a side 1040 practice. So back in the 80s, I learned how to make appointments 
via the phone from when I was six years old. And it's actually a pretty cool story because I totally grew up with clients or customers coming to our house to have their 1040s done at night. And what was pretty cool about it, and now when I look back, is I was part of that transition. So that was like before home computers were available. And so my dad used to fill out these input sheets. And then twice a week, we would jump in the family station wagon with the dog and all of us, and we would go to Carvel, which is an ice cream store. And we would also go to CompuTax and drop off essentially these input sheets that then would go to Key Punch. CompuTax would put all the numbers in, and then we'd also pick up the tax returns that my dad had dropped off the day prior. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we always got ice cream. And now you could say, <laughs> my dad doing accounting or tax work, or you could also say, are showing us the business, but you could also say it was my mother getting us out of the house because my dad was working during tax season. We always got ice cream during tax season. And so that was like a treat for us. And it's kind of funny because even fast forward to when my kids were little and I would work on Saturdays, my husband used to let them have ice cream for breakfast on Saturday mornings. And that was kind of a treat of tax season because I always wanted tax season to be a positive thing for them, not a negative thing. Because I remember what tax seasons were like. I never got to go on spring break or anything like that. So it was kind of cool to watch my kids get excited about tax season too, because they knew that they would get ice cream on Saturday. So the tradition continued. That is too cool. You've equated tax to ice cream. That's awesome. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your kids are going to grow up. Ooh, I get to pay my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now, fast forward, now my kids are older and they don't have a negative thought process around tax season, which I think is important because you are gone for an extended period of time. So it does have an effect on your family. So you want to make sure that, you know, they associate it with something positive, not negative. Wow. That's cool. So you've known you were going to be an accountant since elementary school, basically. Yeah, not really. Basically, (laughs) that's how I grew up in a firm, right? But then I actually took a couple accounting classes in high school and I did well at it. This is pretty funny too. In 1990, I won the Oakton Community College Accounting Team Award for when I was a senior in high school. So that was pretty cool. I really liked my accounting teacher when I was in high school. I had thought about doing psychology or something like that when I was going to college and my dad was like, no, he's like, you know, you need to get a job. So he was basically like, eh, doing taxes like being a psychologist anyways, just go get your degree in accounting. And at that point, I just like, I kind of caved and I did it. But what's kind of funny is you can tell, and not to say that I don't love my job because I totally love my job, but it took me a while to find my right base within the accounting industry because, you know, I'm not typical. And I think it just goes to show you that whatever your passion is, you can find it based on a technical skill set and your career will evolve. It's not going to be just like exactly how it came out of college. Okay. Okay. You were an accounting major in college initially? Yeah, but I was an atypical major, which of course fits me. So I was an accounting major. (laughs) I went to St. Mary's Notre Dame. So my background was in liberal arts as well. So I have an accounting degree, you know, a bachelor's of business with an accounting concentration. But also I like spent a year abroad in Rome when I was a sophomore, which I was the only business major to do that because back then, and it was different, right? Business majors couldn't go abroad because they had such a rigorous schedule and whatever, but because I knew that I wanted to go overseas and do stuff, I scheduled my world around it. So that leads to my next, my first internship, which is kind of funny too. So 
all my friends were liberal arts majors. And so they were English and history. And we had spent a year in Europe together. And I come back and they all want to go to Washington, D.C. A lot of them were poli-sci majors. And I was like, well, I could go to Washington, D.C. too. I'll see what accounting jobs they have. So I applied for an internship with the U.S. Department of State in their accounting group. And I got it. And the funny thing was, is I was the only one who ended up getting the job and going to D.C. And all my friends didn't get the jobs in D.C. And then a couple of them ended up coming for that summer anyways. But it was just kind of funny. So, you know, I definitely had like even a non-traditional internship. Wow. Where were you living at the time? Were you in that area or? No, I was in Chicago. So I'm from Chicago and I lived at Georgetown for the summer and it was a really fun summer. So summer in D.C. (laughs) Working for the U.S. Department of State and like every Friday we had a few trip and we did something like related to the government, which was really cool because it was part of their whole internship program. I was just the part that was focusing on accounting, not on something else like some other piece of government. That is too cool. It's almost like a semester abroad, but here. (laughs) Well, right, right. Wow, that's cool. So I want to get to New Vision CPA Group, but I don't want to skip the stuff in the middle because I'm sure that that experience was valuable and also that probably led to your decision-making process, you know, to start that. How did your career get started? What were the first few accounting jobs like before New Vision? So I graduated from school and I went to work for PW and I was in their tax technology group. Like I've always been attracted to technology. I've always liked technology and their tax technology group actually created tax software. So it was called, I think, DMS. And it was essentially, I think they were eventually acquired by fast tax or something. But anyways, basically during part of the season, I added forms up. So if it's like line one plus line two, like I would create the formula that said line one plus line two equals line three, right? And I would do all those formulas. And then to make the forms work in tax software, so that was development season. And then the other side of the season, I would be answering the phone, picking up the phone, just like when you call and you have tax software issue and you're like, why isn't the software working? I was the person who had to answer the phone. And I didn't know tax when I say that, meaning I was right out of school. I had no tax experience, no forms experience, but I was the person who was answering the phone, trying to walk you through support. So I always find that as an interesting perspective. But what it taught me was to think on my feet. And I don't think I would have ever gotten that experience because usually I was talking to directors of tax and here I was like a first year who had to figure out how to solve their problem or how to escalate it to get their problem solved. So it was a really good learning experience. But on the other side of it, it was, I'll say, the worst year of my life because, you know, it was like 60, 70 hour weeks all year long. We had two busy seasons and they ended up or they got sold to fast tax or something like that. And I ended up leaving. Yeah, it was a really good experience, but not the best job for me. So then I ended up working for a small firm that was part of Sam Zell's group, Equity Group Investments. And that's when REITs were really trendy in the early 90s. Sam Zell is a billionaire, right? So I worked on his multiple entities that actually flowed into his tax return. So I can say I've worked on a billionaire's tax return. And I got to see him do the Macarena at the company picnic. So that was kind of cool. And then I left that I did a lot of depreciation, right? Because you think about real estate, it's a lot of depreciation. And then I started to work in mid-sized public firms, like seven partners, 50 or 60 staff, and really, I'll say a mid-sized public accounting firm. And that's 
kind of where I cut my chops and I really learned to do small business accounting and a little bit of the technology related to it because technology was just really starting to come and how to really work with clients, I'll say, and to do the tax technical stuff. I had two kids while I was there and I <laughs> one of the things I did was I worked part-time and then I got my master's at night. So technically I was working full-time, but I was only quote unquote working part-time, but then I got my master's at night in tax because I didn't want to completely step off the wheel. And finally, when my kids were a little bit older, basically I left the one mid-sized firm and I jumped and I started New Vision. Now, if you've ever heard me speak before, I talk about how my son was born a premature baby on March 31st. Obviously, that wasn't supposed to happen. And I was out for six weeks. And when I came back to work, I was essentially laid off or I'll say fired, even though they didn't call it fired. I was laid off. And it was kind of those, I'll say, not so nice things as to how women were treated early on in my professional career that really made me say, there's got to be a better way. You don't have to work a bazillion hours a week. Results should count, not just the hours that you're sitting in a seat and kind of got me going and got my fire burning to make me want to change the world. And that's really how I ended up with New Vision. Now, actually, after that, I worked at one more small firm, and then I came off a really bad tax season, and I said, I'm done. There's got to be a better way. I joined my dad's 1040 practice, which at the time was still really small, and I thought, great, I'm going to start a firm. This is going to be good. I'm going to work with my dad. And what happened was the first thing he said to me was, he goes, go find your own clients. So, <laughs> so, so much thanks, dad. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wow. So what it taught me, though, is it taught me how to build a business. So it was actually some of the best advice I've ever been given because I actually had to learn how to sell accounting services, not just do them. And I think that's what's wrong with many professionals today is they're taught technical things, but they're never actually taught sales. And in order to be in public practice, you actually have to know how to sell as well. So I joined my dad, and when I had to start selling accounting services, I started working with people who looked like me, acted like me, and talked like me, and they were in their early 30s at the time, and they used this thing called the internet, and they used it <laughs> actively, right? And so I realized that if I used technology and the internet to do accounting, that I could essentially offload some of the work to the technology, offload some of the work to the client, and still have an awesome work product, and I could charge the same, if not more, for it because I could actually do advisory with it. I could bundle it together and I could sell it at a fixed price. And so that's kind of how cloud accounting got invented. And I'm not saying that I invented cloud accounting, but I was one of the early people who started changing up the business model for cloud accounting. And that's why cloud accounting is where it is today, because we were the early innovators, the early adopters. That's how I got my status in the profession was because I was the one who essentially, I mean, I had a purpose of trying to build a new firm in a new way with a fresh client base. And I had the support of my dad as well. So that's how I kind of created New Vision CPA Group. So that's my firm. So I'm curious the name, New Vision. Is that because of the technology or is that because you were determined to run a firm differently after you were fired? For having, so having it, a child it, it was, right. So it was actually kind of both, right? So what happened was is my dad's firm's name was James Jama two six C T A L T D. It's like a mouthful and it was on the internet and nobody was gonna find it. Anyways, and I was like, I wanted to change the name of the firm. So 
new vision just kind of hit and it stuck. And if you talk to my dad, he always says, he's the old vision and I'm the new vision. You know, <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of our tagline, right? He's the old vision and I'm the new vision. But we actually went through a full succession. I mean, because this was 13 years ago and my dad and I worked together for a number of years. And then um, we went through succession for a number of years, which is a whole story in and of itself. And then finally, three years ago, we had a surprise retirement party for my dad and um, we retired. Him. Oh, he didn't know it was coming? No, he didn't know it was a surprise. <laughs> and so then we, so it was time. Wow. We needed, and you know, now he still comes around, but you know, just with coffee cake and stuff. It's not like he, you know, he doesn't really work at all. He just kind of comes and hangs out and creates a little bit of a disruption and then he leaves. Okay. What does New Vision look like today? I mean, do you have other employees? I'm not from your area, obviously. I'm down in Texas. So the reason I am radical and my brand is radical is remember I do things differently. So New Vision has evolved and it's usually had four or five people as it's grown and it's incrementally grown every year, right? We are down to my partner who is actually my first hire who's now a partner and an admin. So we're down to essentially two and a half full-time equivalents. I don't really work in my firm, so I don't consider myself a worker. And we're using artificial intelligence and bots to do our work. So even though we've really quadrupled in size, we're almost 750,000, 700,000, whatever. We only have two people working it because we utilize technology to the highest extent to do the work for us. So (laughs) that was what that early cloud tinkering did for me. It taught me how to iterate and change a business model. So now that the bots are out, we have them working for us and we work regular hours during tax season. So that's kind of cool. When I say regular hours, meaning about 53 hours a week from middle of February till April. So for about eight weeks, we're a little bit extra, but it's not like the crazy tax season hours that of the firm that I grew up in. And that's why I'm radical. Okay. Is that the bot keeper part of your... Okay. Tell us more about that. Exactly how are you using automation and accounting? What are you doing that's different? So basically, what we're doing is everything is driven by data feeds. So if you think about like online banking, right, we connect all those outside sources of data. So whether it be credit card fees or bank fees or even invoices that go into another sort of data, like a bill.com or something like that, we connect all those sources together in what they call the bot brain and the bot brain thinks about it, and then the bot brain puts it into a category, and then we just approve it. So instead of us actually thinking about the data categorization, the bots are actually doing it. And I say the bots are smarter than my new hires. So it's kind of crazy. But what it allows us to do is to be more analytical and to be more customer service focused, as opposed to just doing the data entry, which for a number of years I've had to do. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at this, and I thought I'm going to leave most of it for the conversation, but I was looking into it in advance. Is this also something that you're promoting with other firms? Is that part of your business to help other firms? Yeah. So I have a number of roles, right? So I have my firm, and then, like, I think we should step back a minute and say I also have a media company because I was one of the early adopters of social media 10 years ago 
because when I was trying to build out my new firm, I didn't know where to go for help. So I went to Twitter because that's where everyone goes for help, right? To learn new things on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And I was a early adopter of Twitter. And so I found my tribe there, which was actually a number of young professionals. We were young at the time who were doing things differently, who we kind of founded a group and we were coined the movement by the AICPA. Anyways, I've always been promoting a new way of doing business because I always think it's not about the tech. It's about changing the world so that CPAs who are professionals don't have to work a bazillion hours a week and aren't treated the way I was treated in my firm. So it really became like a life-changing mission for me. And that's why a lot of people connect to me because they know it's really about changing the world for a better place, which sounds kind of big. But on the flip side, when you think about, you know, fast forward, how much impact I've had on the profession, it's kind of cool. But anyway, fast forward, I now have 660,000 followers on LinkedIn and like another 15,000 on Twitter. So a lot of people connect to me because they like what I have to say. And they know that if I talk about it from a technology perspective, that I've looked into it, researched it, and I really understand the technology landscape. And what's really interesting to me about that as well is, like I always say, I'm like an influencer. So I'm like the Kim Kardashian of accounting software. So you didn't know right? That brand. But essentially, people want to be connected to my brand because they know that CPAs will listen to what I have to say because I'm a practicing CPA. I use the technology every day. You know, I know whether it works or it doesn't work. And so, so I have a media company. So I have New Vision. I have New Vision Media Company where I do white papers and speaking engagements and my podcast falls under that. And so I have a media company. And then just recently, this past summer, I joined BotKeeper as really like an outsourced executive to help them build out their partner channel. And my official title is accounting ambassador and bot advisor. And it's pretty cool because, you know, I joined them in July and I knew that there there was really something special there in their technology. And then I knew the CEO, Enrico, was going for a funding round. And then it uh, turns out they got funded by Google. So it's kind of cool. So now, like, essentially, I work for a startup funded by Google. And my boss, Enrico, is 30 years old. And I love working for someone who's younger because... They just see so much opportunity versus me trying to fight the old guard and trying to get them to change, which has been most of my career. Now I get to follow the next gen and to really make an impact there. Wow. I had planned on asking you this later, but I just don't want to go ahead with it now. A large part of our audience are, are what I call up-and-coming professionals. Not We have some audience members that are definitely later in their career also, but I know we have a large contingent that are the first few years in their career and definitely juniors and seniors in college. What do they need to prepare for in technology or what do you think they should be doing to help get prepared for the workforce they're sure. going to enter? So this is really cool, too, because like now that I'm part of BotKeeper, so I went back to school this semester. So I'm actually taking accounting and data analytics class, which is like a 400-level class. So my group partners are seniors in college, which has actually been kind of fun. And what's interesting to me about it is that everything's changing and you're still going to need your business acumen. You're still going to need your soft skills, but you really need to understand data as well, because ultimately, a lot of the grunt work that I had to grow up doing, they're not going to have to do because the computer's just going to do it for them. And then they're going to have to be more interpretive and do more higher level work, which 
is not a bad thing, but it's very disruptive to CPA firms today because CPA firms today don't know how to teach that level of skill. So it's going to be a big change for the profession as a whole. And so it's going to be interesting and it's a good thing, but it's just how is it all going to evolve? I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just going to be different. A side question for you, because I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking about what I hear from people coming out of school. You do have individuals that get in the first year or two of their career and they get frustrated because they feel like they're still doing some of the grunt work and they're not having enough opportunity to make a difference, you know. Do you have any thoughts on what employers or CPA firms can do to develop that skill in their staff or you know, move their people into the more analytical work faster? Have you seen any best practices? No. So that's going to be one of my jobs moving forward is helping to develop those best practices because I see the huge disconnect and we need to come together because we can't get rid of all the old guys, even though we'd like to. I didn't say that. But um, (laughs) no, we have to say that kind of tongue in cheek. But I mean, realistically, we all need to learn to work together. And what I was telling the kids in my class today was just like, you know, we understand the business side, but we really don't understand the data side. And however they can help bridge that gap, will get to the best results for our client, which is what they really want, right? Because you can't get rid of all that experience, but you also need the new kids with the technology skills to help get there. So I think it's just about going at it with an open mind and making sure too, whoever they're working for treats them like that versus not giving them the opportunity to grow. So you're not going to have a perfect, first of all, no job is perfect. I don't care what job you're in. There's no perfect job. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay you to do it. But if you go into it with the mindset that, you know, 80% of the time you're doing something that you enjoy doing, then you got a pretty good job. And then if that last 20% you're doing grunt work, so be it, do the grunt work and move on, right? I think where it gets hard is is that these old school firms don't utilize the technology that's currently available and it frustrates the next gen because they know there's a better way and the older partners aren't necessarily ready to adopt it. So I think that's where the frustration comes from, not necessarily the doing of the work. It's the fact that they see opportunities to make their jobs better and the partners aren't necessarily open to listening to it. And I would even say it's not that they don't want to listen to it. It's that they feel so much pressure by all the work that they have to do, and the business model is broken. And so there's really no time to put that innovation into a firm, which is, again, why I'm radical, because I believe that innovation should be part of every firm, and currently it's not. Yeah, I'm curious. So you're going back to school. You're taking this class. Do you think somebody's listening to this podcast and they're a junior maybe or, you know, they're not going to graduate this semester. It's out there a little bit. Do you think it's worthwhile to postpone graduating and take a few extra courses or even get a minor in data analytics or management information systems, computer science, whatever the, you know, depending on the school, what it offers? Do you- so I'm going to go totally opposite again. So. Okay. The radical. Not, remember, I'm not traditional. I'm nowhere traditional. Even the way I found my success has not been traditional, right? So, so from my perspective, I actually think, you know, there's a 150-hour rule that we would do better off taking more communications classes, more history, more English classes than just technical because the technical is going away. The technical the computer is going to do. And if you want to be a computer scientist, that's one thing. 
But if you don't want to be a computer scientist, you need to be able to write well, you need to be able to speak well, and you need to be able to look at problems and analyze them differently, right? You don't need to just say, you know, debits and credits. You need to think, oh, how does this have an actual business impact? So you need to think more like a consultant. And if you look at the history, Anderson Consulting used to hire liberal arts majors and teach them consulting and teach them the business side. So I think truly we need to get more consultative skills more so than more technical skills. Because I think the computer people are going to be able to do the computer stuff or the data people if that's the world they want to live in. But the straight up accountants, they need to be better communicators. That's a good point. I hate the term soft skills, but you know, for lack of a better term right now, really your success in your career really is much more dependent on your soft skills these days than your technical skills. That just gets you a seat at the table. You know, your your right. growth. Yeah. For the record, by the way, you mentioned you know we need sales training. I, I think all of us accountants should have to take at least one semester of sales in college. You know what's funny about it to me too is it's kind of sad as well, right? So like when you look at a lot of accountants, right, they're teaching other people how to run their business. And if you ever look at many accounting firms, are they the best run businesses? No. So it's really interesting to me, how do we make ourselves, our depth bigger so that we can actually come in and help business owners be more proactive instead of reactive. And again, we're going to stop looking at reporting going backwards because there's no relevance there. What the company did really has very little impact on what it's going to do in the future and look towards the future and help our clients be more proactive. And that's where we have to get looking. And right now, I don't see us moving that way fast enough. That's good advice. Well, I want to make sure we leave enough time for the final three questions I end every podcast with. I'm curious about one more thing, though, because you've got so much going on. And What are you excited about going forward next few years? What's getting you out of bed these days? What are you excited about? Oh, my God. I'm so excited to finish changing the world. So when I say that, meaning I finally feel like the technology has caught up with me and with my vision of how a future firm can look. And that means having automation do the majority of the work and having the CPA truly be the business advisor and having the opportunity to do it like that. And to me, that also evolves is it means that you can still be a profitable company and you don't have to make your staff work 65 hours a week during tax season, right? It essentially will take away the seasonality of the accounting business, which to me is ultimately why I started the crusade that I was on. That's why I started the journey because I felt as a young mother that I was being judged for the hours I didn't work instead of what I produced. And, you know, is that an opportunity for more women to become more successful in the profession? Absolutely. Does it affect everyone? Totally. Good point. Good point. Actually, I was at a lunch seminar today and it was on technology and the speaker was not an accountant and he was saying that the job of an accountant is going to go away in the next 10 years. And he was smart about a lot of things, but I thought, no, technology is not taking away our jobs. It's taking away the parts of our jobs that we don't like. It's leaving the fun stuff. You know, there's, there's still analysis and there's still the advising side. And thank God we won't have to do as much data entry anymore, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, and I do want to be respectful of your time, so we probably should get to those. The first one's usually the easiest for our guest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? So this is kind of wild, but it took me five times to pass a CPA exam. So again, 
it's funny when I think back on it, but it was hard for me. It was not an easy exam. Granted, I had to take all four parts at the same time, so you kids today have it easier. But aside from that, I mean, truly, it was hard. So it really makes me proud. And it was kind of funny, too, because the funny story about that is, you know, I'd been taking it and failing it and taking it and failing it. And finally, my husband said to me, you know, I wanted to start a family. And I was thinking, oh, well, like, you know, I won't have to take the CPA exam again or whatever. And my husband said to me, which is kind of funny because nobody tells Jody anything, but um, <laughs> I'm a little strong-willed like that. But he said that we weren't going to start a family until I passed the exam. And that was like the best thing that he ever did. Finally gave me the incentive to get to it and pass it. And then we had children soon thereafter. For me, that was the biggest moment because it did. It took me quite a few times. I took it once and I did horrible, but I didn't really study. And then the second time I studied, I only passed one part. And then I think the third time I took it, I passed two parts, but I blew my condition. So I didn't get a 50 on the third part. So that meant it didn't work. And then I think I passed it and finished it up. So I think that's important for people to hear because I think, you know, everyone talks about all these people who pass it on the first time. And A, first of all, nobody really cares once you have it. But then on the other side of it, there are lots of successful people who took it multiple times. And it doesn't mean that you're any more or any less successful. You just need those letters after your name. That's right. We interviewed Kimberly Ellison Taylor, past chair of AICPS. Mm -hmm just recently. And I love it when she talks about her experience, you know, taking the exam because she's like, Mark, you're never going to believe this. I failed. And she just makes a big deal out of it. And it's a great story. If you have time, you should go back and listen to that one. But you're right. No one cares as long as you pass. (laughs) Right. Well, second question, I'm really curious to hear your answer on this one. Tell us about a mistake you made and what you learned from it, because that's really what we want to know. But the bigger, the better. Don't hold back on me, Jody. I make lots of mistakes. So I think for me, looking back now, when I left my firm to start my old firm or to start New Vision, I never had a conversation with the partner as to why I was leaving. I was too afraid. I had it up in my own mind why I was leaving, why they were running for them, blah, 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 all this stuff. And now as a business owner, like the business owner's perspective, I wish that I had the guts at that time to actually tell the partner what was important to me and at least have him try to rectify the situation as opposed to me building it up in my mind and just, I don't want to say stomping out of there, but essentially not giving them the opportunity to make it right. And because my last firm that I left was not a horrible firm, it was just not progressive as firm like I run, right? But it wasn't really a horrible firm. You know, I just feel now, like now that I own my voice and I know who I am and what I'm willing to stand up for, I kind of kick myself because I kind of keep thinking what would have been, like I love everything that I've done, but I always think what would have been had I actually stood up for myself to that partner to tell him really why I was leaving and what was important. And I think not so much just women, but I think everyone, when they're young in their career, they don't realize how important it is to be a straight shooter and to really tell management or the partner group or whatever truly what's going on and to be transparent with them versus just say, I'm leaving. Because I think knowing the partners, they probably would have done something, but it was just me and my, you know, my inexperience and my 
just, yeah, I was just an experience. And now I think it would have been good for me to hear, to have someone say, hey, before you quit something, make sure that you have that transparent conversation so that you leave it all out on the table. Then if you leave, you leave, but it's not like, oh, I'm leaving and they don't really understand why or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you for sharing that. That is an important lesson. It's very generous of you to share something so big. Thank you very much. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice that I have ever received, I'm going to go back to my dad. Go find your own clients. I mean, honestly, that was the beginning. He taught me how to build a business. So that's the most important thing because now fast forward 13 years, I have a business that runs itself. Well, my partner pretty much runs it, but ultimately now I have my firm running itself. I have a media company and I'm doing fun stuff with BotKeepers. So yeah, had I not learned how to build a business or how to find my own clients, that would have never come to be. Wonderful. Yeah, you can tell by your enthusiasm that you're enjoying life and you're enjoying your career as you have it structured. That really is wonderful. Yeah, and I'm probably supposed to shut up now, but you know me, (laughs) I got to get that last word in. I think one of my mentors told me too, and I think this is really important, is that success in your eyes, not in somebody else's eyes. And as I am a completely non-traditional, non-corporate, non-traditional CPA, I'm finding success. I'm competing with top 100 firms. I have managing partner status and stuff like that. And to me, I did it on my own terms. And that's what success is. Success isn't the money in the bank. I mean, that all comes, but that's not what success is. Success is when you do what you love and you do it on your own terms. And that is really what makes me want to get up every day and not even think about that I'm going to work. I'm just doing my thing. Very true. Well, I do want to get a final thought from you, but before we do that, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com, and if you haven't visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Jody's episode. We're going to have links to the entities, the businesses that she's mentioned, and of course, we have all our show notes for all our other episodes, 120 plus at this point. A lot of the value there. Once again, that website is whereaccountantsgo.com. So on that that note, Jody, do you have any final thoughts <laughs> or words of wisdom you'd like to yes, share? Yes, my final thoughts are connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to have followers. Follow me everywhere. I'm just Jody Paydar on LinkedIn. Find me there. Follow me. Connect with me. Follow me on Twitter at Jody Paydar CPA. Reach out to me. Check out my books, The Radical CPA, New Rules for the Future Ready Firm, or From Success to Significance, The Radical CPA Guide. Both of those are at cpatrendlines.com. And, you know, reach out. I love inspiring the next gen. I love being part of it because truly the future is there. And I'm absolutely going to be following the next gen, not the old gen, because I've done enough following of the old gen and I'm ready to uh, get inspired by the next gen. Beautiful. Well, thank you again to the audience as well for joining us, Jody. You have been a joy to interview. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.